you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Sundays are supposed to be feast days in the church calendar. Uh, when we come to seasons of penitence and reflection like Lent or Advent, uh, we, we on Sundays still feast. We still uh, come for what we consider a mini Easter every Sunday where we celebrate the uh, resurrection of Christ and the transformation of the world. Every Sunday is supposed to be a, a moment we come together as the first day of a new week and the last day of the previous week. It's the time when we're coming together to glorify God uh, and to experience his glory reflecting back on us. Uh, Sundays rightfully should be a place where we come in our joy uh, and, and uh, outpour with thanksgiving to God. We like happy, joyful Sundays. What's harder, though, is that uh, Sundays, if they're truly a place where we're going to glorify God and worship Him fully, uh, should also be a place when we come when we're in the depths of our laments and grief, when things feel harder than they've ever felt, uh, where we can come and, uh, much like the authors of so much of Scripture, uh, cry out to God, where are you? Why? Where we can come and shed tears uh, with those we love, where we can uh, not be all put together, where it can be hard to say, this is the word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God, where it's hard to say, I know you'll give me my daily bread. It's harder to come on those Sundays and worship uh, because we've conditioned ourselves to, to, to find the worship experience as solely a joyful moment. Is that a fair representation of your experience of the life of church? See, these three told me that I was going to be able to trust their faces today to know if it was hitting or not, and not a one of them was looking at me just then. <laughs> so I'm going to assume that this resonates somewhat. It's easier to come when life is joy-filled and happy than when it is sad and full of lamentation. Most of my life, it's been the exact same way. When things are good, it's easy to come and thank God for every good and perfect gift that comes from God. But when things are bad, it's hard to come and, uh, and smile. It's hard to come and sing uh, Lord of the Dance. And it's hard to come and uh, sing out praise God from whom all blessings flow. But the church should be that place. Israel knew this. Israel's worship that emerged out of uh, their time of exile gave birth to the Psalms, which are full of Psalms of lament. They had this language of, God, why have you forsaken us? Where are you in the midst of our groans? We trust you, but come, Lord. There's been a lot... Uh, that has grown worthy in the life of so many in this congregation lately. We've had, um, we've had spouses die. 
We've had siblings die. We've had relational breakdowns. We've had uh, parents that are on the precipice of uh, confronting uh, life and death. We've had uh, painful uh, estate situations. We've had um, thing after thing where there's probably someone uh, sitting near you, if it's not you yourself, who has had lots of groaning and grief and lament lately. And they might do a great job of turning that frown upside down and coming to worship and uh, not showing it, but I, 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 I long for us to be a place where we can show that grief and lament and, and can be uh, broken and downtrodden. If you are here this morning and life is just joy-filled, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Uh, I expect someone within arm's reach of you is not. We need to reclaim that Scripture invites us into that. We can look beyond the Psalms of Lament to, to uh, almost every letter Paul writes. He's confronting a church that has some sort of conflict where things are not the way they wish they would be. And Romans is no different. Today's sermon, or today's scripture, has me a little nervous. I got in trouble in seminary in my preaching class because I tended to preach two or three sermons in one sermon. And uh, she told me, that you're always going to have another chance to preach that text. So don't preach three sermons, preach one. I'm um, slightly terrified. I've got three many sermons in a row today. Um, but we're going to try it. And you can tell me if it's a cohesive. Kathy, is found, she's really watching now and she's shaking her head negatively. Um, Paul is confronting a people full of grief and lament. They are trying to figure out how to be the church when they expected Jesus to have already come back. They're trying to figure out how to be the church with this new dynamic of the Jews returning from, the Jewish Christians returning from exile outside of Rome. He's, he's talking to a people who are groaning under the weight of the realities that Christ has not fixed everything yet. And last week we, we found that his first invitation is to do two things, to find a chosen community in the church, whether you are Gentile Christian or Jewish Christian, to, to find one another as siblings in Christ, and then to turn to your adopted father God. And then he kind of throws away this very last sentence, and thanks be to God, we have hope in Jesus Christ. And then this week's text picks that up. Thanks be to God, we have hope in Jesus Christ. For in the moments of our groaning, when we don't have words to say, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. I find great comfort in that I don't have to express the depths of my heart for God to know my heart. I'm seeing a lot of head nods, and so that is, uh, it is both reassuring and comforting that uh, when words fail us, when words have failed the church before us, when, uh, when our groaning is so deep we don't know how to begin to even articulate why we hurt, the Spirit knows our heart and brings those prayers before God the Father. My preaching professor would say, that's the sermon and you should sit down. I can't. I just can't. Uh, because this, I don't think it's three distinct sermons, I think it's three three views into the same sermon. Uh, he tells us at once that the Spirit knows our hearts and can intercede on our behalf, and then goes into what I think is the explanation of how and why the Spirit can do this, and, and we get probably the most theologically complex portion of the New Testament. 
as uh, we read the middle part, I expect some of you went, oh, this is so beautiful. This is how I know, this is how I experience God. And some of you are like, that does not sound like the way I experience God at all. I thought we believed something totally different. I expect some of you kind of just glazed over a little bit about halfway through and were like, hope Chad talks about that part because it makes uh, a little confusion abound. Paul gives us this section in the middle that deals with two theological topics that you can never pull apart. And he very importantly starts with the idea of God's foreknowledge. All right, this is the big scrabble word for the first part of this. He starts with God's foreknowledge. God exists somehow out of time. God uh, can experience the whole of human history uh, from the beginning of time to the end of time when we uh, are still participants in it. God knew uh, when he began the creative work what Holly would be doing this morning. He knew the words that would be on George's pen as she writes her next book. She knew what delicious, I think it was great that the gospel lesson talked about yeast and Betty Jo's here today. He knew what delightful concoctions she would be whipping up in her test kitchen. He knew those things. And he also knew who was going to turn to him. Who was going to respond to his grace, uh, accept his love, and, uh, and forgiveness. So that's the first part that Paul mentions. And so then he brings us back. Transitions, sometimes I, I kind of stumble through. So I'm going to try to make this transition really clear. We start with foreknowledge. Before God does the first bit of creative work, he knows the ends of things. So God, uh, God sees things that are formless and void and begins creating and already knows that Kathy will shake her head when I suggest second and third parts of sermons. Um, and then Paul goes on to explain the significance of this. What God foreknew, he predestined. You hear this language thrown around in the church, and we don't speak with precision often, and this is a distinctive amongst different theological traditions, so I want to be particularly precise. That which he foreknew, he predestined. And so you can read uh, these scholars who go right over at their seminaries and never have to walk into a church and preach a sermon, write about this, and uh, one group will talk about uh, that God has chosen all these actions, and then uh, another group will talk uh, that God has uh, allowed the actions that he foreknew that we would do. Cliff, you're bouncing. Am I, am I, am I making sense so far that there are two ways to read this text? Okay. Uh, one gives us the chance to respond freely to God's grace, and then he foreknows what we're going to do, and then kind of blesses that. This would be the Wesleyan understanding of God's providence. Here's your other Scrabble word, God's foreknowledge and God's providence. We believe that God has given us grace to respond, and that before the foundations of time, he knew that, but he has not forced us into that. Does that make sense? You are allowed to choose to respond to God's grace positively or negatively. It is not irresistible. God can come after you, Billy, and you can run away if you want to, okay? Nell, we've talked about this a lot. God can chase you and chase you and change you, and you could choose to resist that grace. God foreknows that decision, but yet doesn't coerce you into making a different one. 
Uh, the founder of Methodism, John Wesley, uh, was commenting on this passage, and he wrote a sermon called On Predestination. And this is the, uh, the logical uh, argument that I've always found compelling. Gabe, can we get that quote on the screen? Yes. Indeed, if man were not free, and it should be men or women, it should be if people were not free, Wesley was writing then, if people were not free, they would not be accountable either for their thoughts words or actions. If they were not free, they would not be capable either of reward or punishment. They would be incapable either of virtue or vice, of being either morally good or bad. If they had no more freedom than the sun, the moon, or the stars, uh, they would be no more accountable than them. On supposition that they had no more freedom than them, the stones of the earth would be as capable of reward and as liable to punishment as, as humanity. One would be as accountable as the other. Yea, and it would be as absurd to either ascribe virtue or vice to, to uh, them as to ascribe it to the stock of a tree. Okay. I'm trying to. Has it hit yet? If we have no choice and God's grace is irresistible and he's going to force us to either love him or uh, be forced into a fiery hell, how do we have virtue? Why do we pray? How do we have any uh, um, sense of uh, culpability for uh, wrongs or sense of uh, growth and holiness for rights? If we are uh, no more free than the trees and the rocks, then really this is just God's grand puppet show. Okay? So that's like mini-sermon part two. The Spirit knows our hearts, even when we can't express the words, because in God's foreknowledge, the Spirit knew all that was to happen and that God has allowed to happen not that which God has made to happen, okay? And then many sermon three comes at the end of this passage, which is, uh, so what can we anchor ourselves in? If this is the full explanation, the explication of uh, the hope that we are to find in Christ Jesus, at the end of Paul's message here is the hope is that nothing can separate us from God's love. This God who foreknew what we would do and this God who agreed with those things that we would do and did not force us into something else will not leave us or forsake us. We can leave and forsake him, but he will not leave and forsake us. Uh, what can separate us from the love of God? Neither heights, nor depths, nor angels, nor uh, demons, nor rulers, nor principalities. You know, you've heard this one before because this is the gospel message that God will not leave us. It's easier on the Sundays where we come full of joy, right? When we've got a foot stomping, we've got hand claps for Jesus, and Bree's giving us a good amen to get us rip-roaring and going. Uh, but on the Sundays where uh, we are breaking down and we are unsure how the next day can go on, God will not leave us nor forsake us, even if we can't see him. Uh, the, um, what's the poem? Everybody used to have them on their, their uh, footprints. Sand. Is it called footprints? It's true. I don't like Christian bookstore stuff all the time, but it's true. When we can't see God's love, 
when we can't see God's sustaining power, when we can't see God working in our hearts and, and hearing our groanings, he's still there and he still loves us. Whether we have come in uh, throes of thanksgiving or barely able to function for our grief, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I'm sure that there are hearts here who don't have words for what they're feeling. For things fresh and new or for wounds that are as old as they are. I'm sure most of us have things that we've never uh, been able to give uh, fully away. And God, we are so grateful you know our hearts. We stand in awe that you are uh, mighty and powerful and transcendent, that you exist in ways that you can foreknow uh, even our days ahead. And yet you journey with us as a loving God, not forcing us in any particular direction, but instead lavishing us with your grace. We give you thanks for this chosen community that you have knit together in the strength of your spirit to be a family for one another when things are hard and when things are good. Lord, we collectively give thanks that nothing can separate us from your love. Lord, would you lavish us with your grace at the table that we might uh, more fully experience your love, that we might be transformed more fully into your image, and that uh, we might go into the hurting places of the world to share your love with others. I pray this in the name of the one who did uh, die for our sakes and rise for our lives, Christ Jesus our Lord, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.